Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Hello, and one last introduction and uh, interruption to the podcast, I promise. Um, Just wanted to tell you about the flight series, the Female Leaders in Insurance Technology event series that we've been running since the start of 2022. We had a brilliant webinar in January, and we're looking forward to a fantastic in-person event on the 17th of March, which is being held at the Folly in London. It's a breakfast event starting at 7.30, but we won't keep you for ages. It's just going to be a fantastic spirited conversation about people, innovation, and culture. And we've got some phenomenal uh, speakers that are going to lead that conversation. Look for more information and tickets. You can either find us on Eventbrite or alternatively, the best places to go to our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by James Cowan of Human. Uh, James, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. How are you, Alex? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, where are you calling us from? Is it a funky WeWork office? I saw the WeWork mug, so I'm assuming it might be. This is a WeWork <laughs> office, a WeWork office in, in Hammersmith that we are soon to move out of, actually. Um, we are being kicked out because they're closing this office and move into one nearby. Uh, so I think they're being, well, they're consolidating their offices in the, the new age that we are living in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, how is the WeWork experience? We're in a similar thing. We're in a spaces, which is kind of a, this Regis trying to be cool, but um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't quite have the same kind of startup vibe. It's a bit more established, but um, yeah, how's it work for you? I mean, it, it's fantastic because we, we have two offices in, in London, soon to have offices in, in other cities as well. Um, and just the flexibility, the flexibility of being able to ultimately, you know, have some of your staff in the office at any one time. They can also go to different offices. So mm-hmm. in some instances, because my home's in Battersea, I go into the Waterloo office and just base myself there just for a bit of peace and quiet away from the yeah. family, as it were. Um, yeah. So you can do that. It's very easy. And then again, you know, when we're starting to travel, which I think is happening, you know, in the coming months. As we go to other cities, you know, basically you can just go and base yourself in whatever Paris or Amsterdam or Madrid or whatever it might be. So hugely advantageous from that perspective. It's interesting to see how they are changing. All of the offices are empty. 
all really? of the sort of communal spaces are absolutely jam-packed with people who are obviously mm. escaping home mm. and sort of wanting a bit of bit of freedom or a bit of the office environment without having you know, a big office with people yeah. working remotely. So it's, it's fascinating to see how they've changed in the last two, two and a half years. Although I can tell you where they're all going because I'm, uh, I'm, we were just discussing, I'm down in Brighton. You can't find office space for love nor money because <laughs> everyone's setting up these kind of satellite bases where all their staff live. So yeah, um, imagine. Yeah, but anyway, we've started on WeWork's uh, business strategy before we talk about your your business. So, um, yes. thank you, thank you again for coming on. Um, always like to do this. Um, be great if you could start and, and introduce human and what you guys yep. do and, and the business. Yep. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so, yeah, firstly, so James Cowns, I'm I'm the CCO for Human. Been so for the last last couple of years, pretty much actually since the world turned slightly south. Um, so really leading the charge when it comes to strategic partnerships, you know, strategy of the company, as well as our expansion initiatives. Human itself, we're, we're a commercial motor insurance solution, um, basically based on data science. So we've built a, a unique data platform that ingests data in real time coming from drivers, coming from vehicles and coming from the environment around vehicles. And this ultimately allows us to understand the risk of a vehicle at any moment in time and to price it off the back of it. So we do basically per-trip insurance for commercial motor fleets. And then alongside that, to help those fleets become safer, reduce their risk, we give them access to a platform. And this platform gives them tips and hints about how you can help drive X or drive Y, how you can make them safer. So the next time they go on the road, you know, as a rideshare um, driver or as a courier um, delivery driver, they will drive safer, they will drive better. Um, ultimately, their risk will be lowered and their insurance will be lowered. So we're offering something that's it's very unique in the market um, and it's really sort of grown very quickly in a short space of time, which is super exciting. Um, and sort of now looking to the next stages, which is both expansion in the UK and also entering the European market in the coming months too. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, it's loads I want to unpick there. Um, now, I know that we mentioned that this is, this is a... I suppose the first thing I want to ask you is, is why offer an insurance product? You know, you've built a SaaS product essentially, and then, and then yeah. you've uh, built an insurance product on top. And, and I suppose, is, is that a demonstration of the capability um, or, you know, we would go to a pure SaaS play in the future or is it, was it always intended to be an insurance product? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because the, the initial ambition of the co-founders was basically to build the data science platform. It wasn't to build an insurer. Um, that was definitely not on the agenda. If you look at the background of, of all of the, the four co-founders, it's very much data science. It's you know, they've been building or they built data platforms for hedge funds, banks, credit bureau agencies. They basically know what to do with data, how to ingest large quantums of it and provide analysis insights off the back of it. They came across commercial motor, saw you know, this you know, huge opportunity to, to build a platform that understands risk and to sell it into the insurance industry. I think the challenge they found was that when they started talking to insurers, when they had an MVP you know, three, four, five years ago, they actually found that it would be very hard for these insurers to actually use that platform to its maximum potential and to leverage all of the insights, to know how to use it, how to do dynamic pricing and second to that was a lot of these insurers said, you know, this sounds great, sounds fantastic. I've heard of similar ideas, you know, come back to me when you've actually proved it out. Come back to me when you can show that it reduces your loss ratios or your accidents or your premium, and then I'll be really interested. So I think at that point, the team sort of took a step back and thought, actually, the way to do this is 
firstly let's build out this data science platform let's make it amazing let's make sure it can understand risk and help risk but then actually let's build an insurance layer on top and actually go through the regulatory process because then actually we are providing the most value to fleets and we are in control of it and then in the future and i think we're at this point now it's a case of we have this insurance solution stacked on top of data science but actually maybe there are markets or opportunities where we can leverage the data science platform and sell it into insurers in markets where perhaps they're non-competitive or markets that are more difficult to enter from a regulatory perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think there will be opportunities in the future where we basically sell it as a SaaS platform. Mm-hmm. But at this moment in time, our focus is very much on you know leveraging this unique platform. I mean, over half of the company is still working on building out that platform. And we're still right. sort of data science at our core yeah. with increasing expertise when it comes to insurance, which is led on top. So it's finding the balance between the two, but I think initially it was just, it was too hard a sell, too long a sort of sales cycle. And also, you know, would they be able to maximize the potential of the platform without basically our understanding of it and our ability to prove it as a case study to the wider market? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump ahead actually, because I had scheduled to ask you this question a bit later, but I think it so correlates to what we've just discussing. Um, uh, you guys raised some investment uh, fairly recently, didn't you? Um, and and I wanted to talk to you about that process. Uh, generally, I'm always interested in that process, but particularly, um, and and it might be unfair of me to ask because you know UK's based company, um, and I'm sort of going to ask that UK versus US thing. But it seems to me that the culture of investing in the UK is that you have to prove your hypothesis before you can raise money. Um, that doesn't seem to be so much the case in the US. Um, if you've got solid, uh, you know idea and 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 you can tend to run with it a little bit earlier is that something that you found and and i suppose what's your how do you feel about that as a as a sort of business um uh, i don't know so it plays to my sensibilities but i can understand the frustrations of it as well yeah um, i mean it's a it's a really good question i think it, it's absolutely correct i think you know there's definitely a difference in the us vc market and the uk or european vc market i think the gap is closing um, I think in the last you know, two years, there's been a huge amount of VCs coming over from the US, setting up offices, you know, having a number of partners based over here and really targeting European businesses because I think they've seen a lot of you know, successes, unicorns, um, and obviously a lot of people in the space as a whole. So mm. there is a, a closing of the gap, but there is definitely a difference between a UK or European com- company where I think you have to prove yourself a lot more, as you say, you can't necessarily just come to the table with a sort of pure idea mm. and perhaps, you know, really good experience from some of the co-founders. I think here you actually have to have, you know, some kind of data points, some kind of validation, um, an interest from, you know, big, big contracts, whatever it might be. Whereas in the US, I think if you have, if you're in the right area, the right space with the right co-founders, I think you can raise, you know, really large rounds at good valuations on sort of theoretical ideas, but I think that's a lot harder in the UK and in Europe. But I think that gap is slowly closing. I think that gap will close further with sort of European becoming a little bit more US in that regard and probably the US probably slightly reducing the size of their rounds, the size of their valuations. I think it'll probably slightly fall away as they focus more and more into the European market. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting. The other aspect that I think is important is you know, if you want to raise money from a, a USBC, 
you need to have some kind of presence in the US. You know, yeah. it's, it's very hard to sort of go and raise a round in the US without, you know, being actually located over there or have offices or have significant presence. And I think you can see it with most startups that as soon as they gain traction in the UK or in France or in Germany, whatever it might be, nine times out of 10, the next market they focus on is the US because of that reason, because then you have access to this pool of capital. Mm. The difference for us is, you know, being in a heavily regulated industry, it could be difficult to actually enter the US because regulation is state by state. There are also other challenges associated with that in terms of commercial motor, which means that for us, our focus, you know, for the next two, three years is really on UK and Europe. Mm. So therefore we're slightly restricting ourselves in terms of, you know, we can't access, you know, big West Coast VCs that are over there that need a presence in the US. And we need to focus on, you know, European ones. I mean, to date it's worked, you know, really well, but it definitely restricts you in mm. such a regulated industry as this. Whereas if you were, you know, selling candy bars or, you know, selling rideshare, I'm sure we'd be in the US by now. Mm. That's that's interesting because I was I was thinking as you were talking that that did the kind of I don't know if it's fair to say it's a pivot, but the evolution of the business from SaaS through to kind of a, a, an insurance play, um, surely that therefore had a, a quite big impact on the investor pool that you go out to, the, the, the types of investors you were going to as well. Yeah, I mean, as a result, we're focused predominantly on, I suppose, ones that understand insure tech. Mm-hmm. And the second aspect to that is ones that understand you know, commercial motor. You know, we've got investment from a number of, you know, insure tech investors, strategic investors that understand commercial motor like Shell Ventures, for example, um, that are super excited about, you know, what we can do in the commercial motor space, which is obviously a space they know, you know pretty well. Um, but our focus has been on that alongside it. I think, you know, which is interesting is we picked up a lot of sort of private equity money, um, which I think is helpful as we go to the next stage. You probably saw at the end of the last year, we acquired a company in the UK, a, a traditional MGA called Walsingham. So we have this ambition in terms of organic and inorganic growth, um, which I think is, again, you know, different to a lot of players in our space, especially at our size of a company. So we've built out a nice pool of capital that's both private equity, both insure tech related, and then sort of more strategic, as well as some of the sort of pure financial investors that... You know, you, you just generally pick up along the way, but, you know, really helpful when it comes to understanding how we scale this business, how we look at an exit in a number of years time, you know, what are the sort of the, the thresholds that we need to hit, for example. So we've got a nice mix of capital behind us mm-hmm. um, that is highly supportive, which is fantastic. Um, so we don't need to worry constantly about, you know, raising, raising more money because our existing investors have to date, you know, supported us as long as obviously we continue to, you know, hit the targets that we're, we're saying internally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had a good conversation with someone yesterday about smart money. They were in the middle of the raising, and they and they were sort of saying the the mass turnoff of kind of having to explain the things that you think are fundamental in in your offering, and then you think it's it's not a, it's not a discredit to the investors. You're just in the wrong room, um, yeah. and uh, you know uh, it, it's because if you're having to, if you're having to explain like regulatory constraints, then the expectations are going to be wrong and it's all about kind of getting that right partner um, because otherwise you spend all your time focusing on the things that don't matter. Um, So yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, Talking about the team as well, just going back to that, um, we said still kind of a heavy mix focusing on the, on the, Mm -hmm. on the data science side of the platform. What is the kind of mix there internally with the kind of, you know, insurance knowledge to kind of maybe SaaS knowledge or or kind of data science knowledge. Um, I'm always interested on that blend and, 
how, how many insurance people have had, you had to sprinkle through to uh, make it viable? An increasing, increasing number of insurance people. I mean, we need yeah. we need the insurance expertise. Um, we now have I think about eighty people in total, predominantly based in the UK, but you know also dotted around around Europe and actually into the US too. Mm-hmm. Um, probably you know fifty sixty percent of those people are in data science and engineering, so really focused on the platform, you know, improving our ability to understand risk as close as we possibly can and in as granular way as we possibly can and ultimately to help fleets you know lower that risk but i think in the last year and a half our biggest growth has come from let's say the commercial side of the business you know hiring you know people that know commercial motor people that are in the insurance industry have you know the right contacts with brokers um you know with the wider industry i think that's you know incredibly important because you know the insurance platform is only a year year and a half old whereas the data science has been going for four or five years now so it's Mm. a much earlier stage of its business you could say and then obviously we helped that by the acquisition of Walsenham at the end of last year so we got you know basically a team of people that have been operating in commercial monitor and built out a brand name you know great reputation in the industry and you come with sort of 10, 10 plus years of experience. So all of those guys and girls have come across, they're adding a lot to our existing capabilities. So I now feel that we actually have in the company a good mix between you know, data and what, what that is and how we can build that out. And then actually the other side of things about how we can actually turn that data into an insurance solution that customers want, that brokers like, that we're given all the reports that we possibly need. And ultimately providing, you know, hopefully great value to brokers and the end client, whoever that might be. So it's finding that balance. I think in the future, you know, we need to continue to invest heavily in, in data science and engineering. It's it's what makes us unique at this moment in time. There's, there's no one like us in that regard mm. because we are, you know, data science at our core. But also at the same time, we need to make sure that we are an insurance company. We have all the regulation, the GDPR, all of that good stuff that goes with insurance. Make sure we're working with capacity providers, reinsurers, brokers, clients, and, and all of those things. So it's it's a nice mix between the two. But yeah, originally our foundation is really data science and insurance has come on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting about the sort of foundational first. Um, James, your face is frozen, but I can still hear you. So uh, we'll keep going. But um, Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's all right. We just might have to uh, might Never have to rely on Wi-Fi. Yeah, we might have to edit you out. Uh, it might, it might, uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's, it's a rather unflattering pause. Um, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Never mind. We'll be kind of with you. Um, so uh, I, I want, going back to that kind of mix as well, um, do you think there's a kind of... I think some of the challenges that we have is going back to kind of talking about incumbents. Um, incumbents are kind of coming to this type of tech solution, kind of almost secondary. Um, it's not it's not primary in their nature. Do, do you think there's a huge advantage in being a sort of tech first business as opposed to insurance first, and then trying to implement tech solutions afterwards? I think it's a really good question. I think there's there's advantages of both, um, you know, very clearly. You know, there's a lot of very successful insurers out there. They've been doing insurance from day one and, you know, will continue to sort of focus on that. I think the great thing about what we are doing is it's different. You know, it's unique. You know, there's, there's no one else out there, whether it's insurtechs, whether it's, you know, your large traditional insurers, you know, they've ultimately built, you know, insurance engines, Potentially, they've been built on tech, potentially they've been built offline, depending on the age of the company. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're still offering you know, pretty traditional you know, policies to their end clients. 
what we have done has come a completely separate way and built out this data engine that gives us a unique advantage to our understanding at least about how actually to price things and to price it in a dynamic way and then also to help the fleet you know become safer reduce their accidents reduce claims etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so to us we feel it is a unique selling point you know it's not for everyone you know some fleets out there that perhaps are you know are not risk conscious or they just see insurance as a line industry or you know a line item in their PL, mm-hmm. you know, they don't potentially want to work with us and that's absolutely fine whereas we're really looking for fleets that are risk conscious that want to you know, improve the efficiency of their fleet reduce risks reduce the premium if they possibly can and that's who we're targeting so i think whether it's better is really hard to say I think it gives us a unique selling point. So when we talk to brokers and we talk to customers and, you know, they ask the question of why we should go with, you know, you as opposed to someone else, you know, I think that's what we say is, you know, it's all about if you want to work with us, reducing, you know, the risk of your fleets, reducing the risk of your drivers, we have a platform that does that. Mm-hmm. And I think the the second thing to that, which is really important is, insurance in the commercial motor market has operated basically in its own silo for the last you know 10 20 30 years alongside that you know as a fleet you probably have a risk management solution you probably have a fleet management solution you probably have telematics you have all of these different things but actually the insurance side of things hasn't really looked at that you know the best case scenario if you're working with an insurer is you might get some kind of discount if you install a black box or a telematics device but yep. they're not looking at what you're doing on a daily basis, how you're engaging with the drivers, how you're running this training um, program, whatever it might be. Whereas to us, we have combined the risk management, the telematics and the insurance in one so that hopefully, you know, as soon as you start to do, you know, really good risk management with your drivers, it will come through into your insurance, which is obviously you know, roughly a quarter of your total cost of ownership. So that's where we can make a real difference and deliver this financial incentive to the end customer which to us is ultimately what it comes down to you know clients want to you know save money and that's what we can do by getting them to engage in the risk management because it ties through to the insurance so that gives us something that we feel is very different um, and i think we're starting to see it you know with the numbers that are coming out of you know the clients that we're insuring you know we're really reducing accidents by a significant portion we're reducing their premium, um, they're making savings. And then when it comes to renewal, they're, they're renewing with us, which is obviously what we want to deliver at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a theme, isn't it? I mean, it's a theme of things that we've seen. Um, the way that you're approaching that relationship with your uh, customer is 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 similar to um, some of the cyber uh, propositions we've seen uh, cyber mgas we've seen particularly in the us um where they've got that kind of engagement of improving your cyber security or at least a, and, and some of them have gone further and sort of proactive response to it and then um there's a business called counterpart insurance in in, in the uh, us or management liability side and, and their usp is about kind of proactively working with you to improve your risk over the yeah. kind of lifetime of your policy so um you get more touch points as well is that is that kind of baked into it um you know, yeah. there's there's improved touch points with the consumer because the stickiness is is a factor in particularly in motor because it's so price driven. Yeah. Um, um, uh, yeah, I I was wondering why you think that, you know, data transparency is such a kind of USP. Um, why why has this not kind of been something that we've kind of been looking to share before? Because the level of data you provide is obviously far outweighs what 
what we've been able to offer previously but we have had data previously we just still haven't shared it so i suppose there's a sort of culture versus tech thing there as well yeah and, and going back to your previous point i think you know, i think that's absolutely right in terms of the touch points and i think insurance and the commercial motor market i think to my mind has been heavily transactional mm. you know you sign up for a policy today you know apart from obviously the claims that happen in the next 12 months you have very little interaction really between the fleet and insurer Whereas of us, you have access to a platform, you have access to our customer success team that are helping you engage with that platform, make sure you're training the right driver, giving you the insights, whatever it might be, you know, walking you through that journey. So therefore there is that sort of day-to-day -day engagement that drives value obviously on our side, because we obviously want less claims to happen and obviously on the fleet side. So I think you know, we're really focused on a sort of relationship or sort of partnership aspect to you know, insurance versus the fleet. So it's, it's different to the wider industry. I think coming back to your sort of second question in terms of data, I think it's only been in the last, let's say sort of five to 10 years where there's really been enough data coming from drivers. Um, you know, we, for example, are looking at data coming from various rideshare platforms. Um, so we understand who the driver is, where they're driving, how they're driving, qualities of those, those rides, whatever it might be. You know, same for other courier platforms at the same time. So we have a really granular understanding of the driver. You know, that's only happened in the last you know five five to eight years probably with the likes of you know uber and bolt and others that have come to the market mm. when it comes to the vehicle telematics as an industry you know has gone from sort of zero to hero in a very short space of time the quality of data that's now coming from vehicles either directly or indirectly has improved significantly um, also the frequency of which they are sharing that data is much better you know we need for example one hertz data so we need data coming every second, basically from a vehicle to understand, you know, what it's doing now and in the next second. Mm -hmm. You need that granular data. Otherwise, you know, if you're looking at every 30 seconds, there's that, you know, huge period where you don't know what the vehicle is doing. Mm -hmm. And then around it, you know, the environmental risk, everything from, you know, pothole data to crime data, um, to mobile footfall, to road curvature, you know, weather, open times, closing times, all of these things, you know, really developed only in the last five to 10 years. And I think that's, the huge advantage of what we have is that we have we have co-founders that have built companies based on data. Mm -hmm. So they know how to use that data, ingest it, analyze it, and ultimately monetize it in a way. Whereas I think it's it's much harder if you build a company and you still have access to you know a huge quantum of data, but to actually turn that into something that is valuable that's associated with the main name of the company. And I think mm -hmm. you see that in the wider industry. There's a lot of corporates out there. That have access to a huge amount of data that is you know heavily you know it's got a huge value to it but it's very hard for them to actually monetize that and turn it into something so i think our advantage is that is our core and actually the thing that we're catching up on is the insurance side of things and we're doing that via a combination of hiring the right people and then also acquisition as well so bringing in that expertise alongside it but i think it, it gives us a real unique selling point when it comes to what we are doing because understanding risk, you know, working with a telematics service provider to integrate their data, to validate, you know, the quality of that data. You know, we spend a lot of time with every telematics company that we integrate, making sure the data is of the right quality that we can fully trust it because ultimately we are pricing off the back of it. So if there's, mm. you know, inconsistency or there's an issue with the, you know, X and Y coordinates, you know, ultimately we are the ones that are going to cop it because we're pricing off the back of it. So, you know, that to us is our, sort of you know bread and butter i suppose you could say mm. there's there's um it's really yeah useful to 
think about. I've, I was just thinking about this on some of the other earlier forays into things like tele- telematics, and and obviously a lot of them have a lot of people have gone. We've got better data. We're going to write to underwriting profit, and and they haven't been successful. Um, yeah, I wonder what specifically is different about the way that you guys are looking at data um, that 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 means that 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 isn't going to be the case, or it isn't the case. Um, because yeah, there's there's been lots of kind of forays into this space. Uh, better uses of data has been the kind of promise, and and it's not quite delivered to that. Um, where have those businesses potentially gone wrong and 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 or 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 more importantly what 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 james are you looking at slightly differently yeah i mean it's it's a really good question because i think ultimately you know if you talk to most fleets in commercial motor the chances are they probably have some kind of connectivity they have some kind of telematics device in them Mm. i think you know that industry has really you know popped up in the last 10 years and grown you know exponentially but I think the challenge is, you know, those telematics companies have, you know, not promised, but, you know, said that companies will, fleets will save money coming from fuel cards, coming from insurance, coming from a better performing fleet. But I think the challenge is tying that through to the actual end data mm-hmm. is very difficult when basically the commercial motor market operates in a number of different silos. So, you know, insurers ultimately are not looking at telematics data, you know, or if they do, they're not pricing off the back of it, they're pricing off traditional factors. So therefore, for the telematics industry as a whole, it actually is a, it's pretty problematic for them to prove value with, mm. with third parties and with fleets. So I think, you know, our approach is really tying everything together. So we, as I said earlier, you know, we spend a lot of time with every single TSP telematics service provider or OEM directly integrating validating the data coming from that vehicle to make sure that we can price off the back of it and then we price off the back of it and your insurance you know has the ability to come down or your premium has the ability to come down so if you work with us and our risk management tools you can save money because i think you know at the end of the day that's what a fleet wants they want to save money that's the key thing it's driving their pnl it's driving their return whatever it might be so i think from that aspect you know we're very different to the wider market you know the second thing is that you know, a lot of telematics companies are you know, sharing third-party events with you know insurers, but again, those insurers aren't necessarily looking at it from a pricing perspective. They're just looking at at a general sort of risk scoring or sort of risk understanding of the fleet. Whereas to us, you know, that really is the core of what we're doing, mm. and because we are layering that on top with driver data, with geospatial data, and we're not looking at third-party events coming from a telematics provider, we're looking at the raw data. It gives us this real granular understanding of risk that we are so confident that we can A, price it, and B, can help a fleet reduce their costs by targeting things that we're seeing, trends that we're picking up. We're picking up that this vehicle actually is trending towards a crash because of reasons X, Y, and Z, and this is how you save it. So I think that is what really gives us an advantage is that we are using all of that data and all of that telematics, bring it into something that saves money for fleets and mm-hmm. really ties it together naturally because they can see it. You know, you can you can open up the platform today as a fleet and you can basically see the action that you took last week and you can see how your premium has dropped from, you know, £2,000 to £1,900 or whatever that number might be. Yeah. So you can actually see and you can then show your CFO or your MD or whoever it might be that, you know, the work that I've taken last week with these, you know, group of drivers is making a real difference. Whereas I think... Mm-hmm. That is very hard for you to do if you're just looking at a risk management solution or system mm. because you can say yes i think i've reduced you know fuel costs here or maybe the, the fleet has been more efficient 
but you know how do you actually quantify that yeah yeah no 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 i think that's a i think it's a, a really important point and um it's a quantifiable stuff but i was thinking about the richness of that relationship and and, and obviously we talked about stickiness of customers but um i uh i don't know if i shared this with you but i was I used to work in the glamorous world of motor fleet claims when I uh, first left university. Um, Interesting. I, I, I did that classic thing, came out as a grad, had no idea what I was doing. There happened to be a really big, <laughs> R, there happened to be a really big RSA office in my town. And um, I think the week I was sort of finished at university, they said, we are hiring. And uh, I walked in and they offered me the princely sum of, I don't know, probably 18,000 pounds. And I thought, <laughs> you know, I'm loaded, let's go. Yeah. And, um, but what I always struck me is that we worked on specific accounts and we would, we would, I was, fortunate enough to be in some of the claims relationship management meetings and if you look if I look back now we had so little data to share with them um and actually from a company point of view and, and I know this is not the purpose but you'd be like the whipping boy because essentially it was always like um they were always unhappy there was always like right well we've had this many claims it took you too long to you know get this together and what could you do better and can we save money and there was nothing that we had to sort of share back to say well actually you know, your drivers are always breaking the speed limit or, you know, the, or the vehicles aren't being serviced very often or it, we just didn't have information. So as a result, it was it was a negative relationship always and it was always an imposition of power, a, a, you know, a disadvantage. And I'm not saying it's using that information to put yourself in a position of power, but it was more actually that if if you feed back as to why things haven't happened yeah um you know i think about my my role you know i'm an executive search consultant um sometimes uh, unfortunately it doesn't go brilliantly if you've got the data points to say well look, this is what we're doing wrong and it might be that we're taking too long to interview or we're putting too many stages in or we're making offers that are below market rate all of that is only helpful if I can present you with all the data because we can we can go look we can quantify that. Um, so that kind of relationship becomes much more valued as well, um, and that's what all I could think about. You saying that it's like that that information, even if it's information you don't want to see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? I think that that's equally as important as you know the bad information, yes. whether it's claims or whether it's a driver that's performing terribly and is costing you a lot more. Yeah, I think that's that's actually one of the most amazing things about our platform is that a lot of the fleets that we talk to and the insights that we're giving back for our customer success team is to go, no, 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 that, that driver is one of our best drivers. No, he or she is, you know, doing terrific. He's picking up a load of passengers, dropping off parcels, whatever it might be. We go, actually, just, just have a look at this, have a look at this data. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, they actually twig that a lot of their best drivers are their worst drivers because they're driving like crazy to pick up the next passenger or, yeah. you know, drop a parcel or whatever it might be. Mm. And actually, they're not listening to basically the recommendations that we or the fleet are giving them. But to their mind, all they're seeing is driver X as earns, you know, Y in terms of revenue. And that's mm. terrific. But actually, that driver has, you know, crashed into a third party, has, you know, knocked over a bicycle, whatever it might be. And it's costing them a lot of money on that side of things. So I think it's yeah. that ability for understanding of transparency to see what's happening, to be able to you know dig into any particular claim, to dig into any particular driver, see how they're driving over a period of time. Whereas historically, you know, what what do you have? Mm. You don't know how the premium is being calculated on day one. You might have a rough understanding of some of the claims through the third party. In terms of what's going on but you probably don't exactly know where it is and you know that claims journey mm -hmm. and when it comes to your renewal you, you don't really know if your premium is going to fall by five percent or increase by ten percent 
Whereas, you know, what we're trying to do is say, you know, here's everything about your fleet. Here's everything about every individual trip. This is what we're predicting the premium will be next week, next month, last week, last month. This is what this driver is doing. And this is what you should do about it. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you as a fleet manager, you have the ability to query it. You, you know, you can look at a transaction and say, hang on a second, you know, that driver was not there at that moment in time. You know, something's gone wrong in your system. And then obviously we'll, we'll look into it. But just giving them the ability to look at all that information is critical. And again, obviously on the claim side, it just, it gives both the fleet, our claims team and our sort of third party, just immediately a huge amount of insights about, you know, you know, what the claim is, you know, where it happened, what did the third party say, you know, what what's the status of that claim, what is the information that we've seen, what's the history of that driver, is this their first claim, is there some claim in the last 12 months, you know, time of day, all of these different things, so at least, you know, you immediately have that understanding when you, again, you call that driver and you speak to them, you have an understanding, you know, you know what roughly happened and you just mm-hmm. confirm with the driver that, you know, it's their mistake or, you know, third party's mistake or whatever it might be, so, us transparency is is really critical both in terms of data and in terms of pricing and giving them that sort of full understanding of what is going on in their fleet mm-hmm. i was thinking as you're saying that it's like that you know thinking about how do we use to find data and some of the ways you know most of the time we were getting data from the driver and it was their perception of what happened and um i do think with your system we do list we, we do potentially miss some of the best parts of uh, the claims process which is reading claims forms from drivers and saying you know you were just to put what was at fault and i always remember one that came in going swerve to avoid a, bad, a badger who was at fault the badger um and, and, uh, <laughs> the probably was yeah I mean, it probably was probably was he probably uh, doesn't have sure. Sure, I, 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 I'm not sure how we claim off him, but um, and then I was thinking about we were talking about fleet. Um, I got run over by my own Uber about two years ago. I, I went to get in an Uber. We were with a group of friends, so I went around the other side of the vehicle. And as I'm going back, he just inexplicably this guy just reversed into me and like knocked <laughs> me over. It wasn't like hard, just hurt my arm. Got back in the car, didn't mention it, and didn't give me five stars as a passenger, which is uh, the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Um, but uh, but I, I'd love to see that claim form from him. That would be my fault for stepping behind the car. But no, I think I think taking the mystery out is what most people because that's it's a lot of insurance's problem is that it hides. Yeah, the pricing's not transparent. Um, you know, people don't understand why the pricing's gone up. Um, there's no engagement along the way. We have no information. Um, you know, I talk about it all the time and I've bored people to death with it. I run a small business. I, I have my own insurance. I need professional indemnity cover. I'm always asked, how much cover do I need? I was like, I don't know. I've got no yeah. idea. I don't know what the average claim is in professional indemnity for a small recruitment business in the UK. I've absolutely no idea. So if you tell me yeah. that's what, so it's it's just this culture of transparency is, is so welcome um, uh, from a from a client perspective, I would imagine. Um, yeah. So and it also, I think the other thing that it links for is you know our primary distribution channel is brokers. Mm. So you know, at the moment they're liaising with a customer and they might have a you know quarterly report or, or something they share back with the customer. You know, with us, you know, we can share insights back to them about how their fleet has, you know, how their customer has performed, you know, work that they've done, you know, work that they can do going forward. You know, so they can provide added value again back to the customer. So again, I think it just it helps them as a distribution source that they can liaise with the customer and add value through their channels as well as obviously us in our direct relationship with the customer. Mm. And then hopefully when you know the next customer of theirs comes up to renewal 
you know, they obviously sort of promote us in terms of, you know, potentially, uh, you know, insurance opportunity. But I think it's really interesting coming back to sort of, you know, choosing insurance. You know, to me, when I choose my own insurance, it's a question of price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what has the claims experience been like? You know, those are the two things to me, you know, when I choose my next, you know, building and contents insurance, you know, I had a really good claims experience recently. So nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll probably go back with them as long as their price is half decent. Because, you know, I want to know where the claim is, what's happening. Yep. Is it third party? Is it my own fault? You know, whatever it might be. So I think mm-hmm. the more transparency in the industry, obviously, to an extent, you don't need to know everything, I think will really help and ultimately will help them work better with clients and brokers and yeah, all of yeah. the end consumers yeah completely i'm really conscious of your time so I'll, I'll i'll sort of close get things towards a conclusion i just want to ask you a couple of things about europe um obviously you've made an acquisition um is there, are there more acquisitions of, uh, part of the strategy to go into europe is that is that on the agenda so at the moment yeah we have, we have a sort of dual approach so we have organic and inorganic we've obviously completed our, our first acquisition you know we're, we're looking at additional acquisitions you know primarily at the moment in the uk um you know that's that's our focus that's where we feel we can make the most difference at this moment in time uh-huh. we are we're launching into europe um hopefully at the end of next month so the end of march sort of leading into april um, we are targeting um, Germany, Netherlands, Spain in sort of phase one, and then phase two will be Italy and France, and that should all be live this year, which is you know super exciting. So that's an organic approach. We've got you know great capacity behind us that's going to support us you know on that journey. And I think the great thing is we've now learned a huge amount in the last you know year, year and a half in the UK in terms of you know I think we're now about sixty thousand vehicles on the platform. So. We have a large quantum of data going through it on you know, a daily basis. So we can take all of those learnings and all of the learnings around how we actually communicate to brokers and to customers about our proposition and take it into Europe. But we feel Europe is you know, a huge opportunity because in many ways it's perhaps more traditional than the UK. So at the moment, Europe is very much focused on organic strategy. Yeah, in due course, of course, you know, we could consider sort of the inorganic routes alongside that. But at the moment... Super excited about launching across those markets and and hopefully bringing the same value that we've achieved in the UK over into into Europe. Amazing. James, I think it's a lovely uh, way to conclude the podcast, but um, uh, I've started doing this now, which is doing myself out of a job, but uh, presumably you're (laughs) launching launching and hiring. Um, How should people best best connect with you? Uh, Can they reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, of course. Yeah, active active on LinkedIn. So yeah, please please do reach out. Um, We're always looking for you know great people from you know across the insurance industry you know commercial and also sort of let's say data science and engineering so yeah please please do reach out we obviously have our careers page as well so you know we have a number of roles out there and we're going to be hiring more and more whether in the uk or into europe so please do reach out contact us leverage the careers page um but yeah thank you very much alex it's been great talking to you about insurance and, and all things that we're, we're doing Awesome. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for going again. Take care. Cheers, well. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com, or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn.
I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.